What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 68. And on this episode, Dimitri and I sit down and have a conversation with our good friend, Jim D'Agostino. You can catch Jim doing all things archery-related over at his Keystone Precision Archery page. We had him on a couple weeks ago talking about kind of what he's doing with that and also his success that he had in the field in 2020. But on this episode, we talk about custom arrow building, tuning, setting up individuals with their bows. There isn't anything that Jim can't do when it becomes archery-related. Pretty big there, Jim. I'm putting you on a pedestal, so don't let us down on that one. We sit down and discuss this all on the podcast where you can do all things at, at your house, working on your own archery equipment. So whether you are just starting out, fletching your own arrows, getting ready to start working on your own bow, this is the podcast for you. Sit back and enjoy this one. Thanks again. Antler up. I want to thank our partners over at Shea Butler Knives. Shea makes custom everyday carry knives with the Rhino in Pursuit. His Ranger and Whitetail knives are amazing for anything in the hunting field. His creativity, qual high quality materials, and functional but unique designs with his precise leather work makes his products that will last a lifetime. I got a couple knives, got my father in law one for his birthday. Unbelievable. Uh, check them out over at SheaButlerKnives.com. And I also want to thank our partners over at Onyx Hunting App. It's the number one hunting app that you can download. Over the weekend, I had some spare time, took the dog for a walk. We scattered out a brand new area that I've never even been on, found another shed, a nice one to be exact. Well, I didn't, Milo did, and dropped that shed waypoint. And again, immediately shared it with Dimitri. We're going to get some cameras up in that area. So it's so easy. Just share all your waypoints that if you want, if not, you have them, you can make different color changes. You could do all your tracking, all different types of stuff on the Onyx hunting app. And don't forget when you sign up an elite membership, not only do you get all 50 States, but you get exclusive benefits from top rut, Exo mountain gear, vortex, and more. So go download the Onyx hunt app at onyxmaps.com. And also want to thank our partners over at America's Best Bow Strings. We have some Platinum Series strings on our bows. Not only do we trust them because of the quality, but also the people that are behind it. And just want to thank them for all their support and helping us out, doing what we love, shooting our bows and getting us ready for tack and for hunting season. Can't go wrong. Great customer service. Great bow strings. Been doing it for a very, very long time. Custom made plus lead time is pretty minimum. We're about... You get it, order them, and within a week, you'll have them to your door. So check out americasbestbowstrings.com. Again, thank you so much, everybody, for the support. Greatly appreciate it. Hope you're getting ready for turkey season coming up. Best of luck to you. Thanks for listening. Antler up. Sweet. But yeah, so hey, we're live. Back for another episode. We got our buddy Jim D'Agostino on. Jim and Demetria are here. So, fellas, it's it's uh, it's going to be uh, hopefully a fun one. We've already started uh laughing and telling jokes yeah i mean i'm already a full beer in so i'm sure i'll have a few more by the time this is over and this will get a little better <laughs> heck yeah man uh we're uh we're rocking and rolling dude we have turkey uh youth started this this past weekend we saw our, our uh our buddy andrew mills with the uh, honey hole game calls his youngest daughter six-year-old I believe it's her, his youngest. Uh, she got a, a turkey this year. So I think the oldest one got one last year. Now the youngest one got one this year. So, man, it's he's the turkey uh, whisperer. I haven't really seen anybody else uh, post. Uh, Dimitri, have you seen anybody? 
no, not not really this weekend. I don't know if there wasn't a lot of people that went out, or you know, I saw several trucks going going past my house up on the state game lands, but just excited for the season to start next yeah. Saturday. Yeah. How about you, Jim? Did you know anybody going out for youth at all? Like for, with any kids? No, no youth. Uh, everybody that I know that has youth are a little, uh, still too young yet. Yeah. So, um, in a few years that'll all change and I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I said to, to Nora, I showed her the picture of, of Andrew with his daughter. And I said, next year, you know, since not coaching baseball i'm like let's get after it next year nuns she's like okay sounds good so she's excited so we'll get her uh i'd like to get her a little 410 just that way i think she'll be okay with a 410 compared to even a 20 gauge just because how little she is so we'll see but excited for that and then uh and then we have so opening day will be for us next week like dimitri said i'm pumped i'm excited probably we'll be filming more than uh hunting on on the weekends just because man when you think about it, what do we got? We got, we said about we have Easter stuff next week for our Easter, and then we have which is opening day. So we probably will hunt what two hours? <laughs> probably, yeah, probably about two hours before we have to go to church. Yeah, two hours before we got to go to church. And then we have the following week is I have a game. So you'll be, if you didn't get a bird that first day, you'll be out that week. And then the following week, I'll be with Jim hanging out with you, dude, out at the tethered, uh, event. And then the following week, by that point in time, it's going to be tough sledding trying to still find a Turkey by that point in time. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but I'm excited. Some cool events and staying busy and all that stuff. So Jim, what do you got going on for Turkey season this year? Anything? Honestly, man. Um, I haven't, I haven't really been a big Turkey guy over the last couple of years. I just, uh, can't really find a time for it, but uh, I'd like to get back into it. I mean, as my little guy gets older, I think I'm definitely going to plug harder because it's such a great sport to get them acclimated with the woods and carrying a firearm and understanding the do's and don'ts. And you could be, you could make mistakes and it's okay. You know, you don't have to feel the pressure like you would maybe within deer season. So I, I think, uh, I think as my kid gets older, I'm going to dive, dive heavier back into it. But as of right now, I'm just kind of laying back and watching you guys and having fun watching social media and watching people, you know, plug pictures and stuff on their, you know, having success. Yeah, man. That sounds like a plan. I mean, like you said, it's a good time to get kids accustomed to, to hunting. I mean, I remember even going out with my dad a few times, uh, you know, a couple times with, with small game chasing pheasants and everything like that. But Turkey was the year, like, kind of like what you said, Jim, of teaching them the ropes of, you know, working a firearm and stuff like that really was in the spring just because my dad loved uh, mainly turkey hunting and stuff. Well, let's get into uh, what I w really want to talk about. So, Jim, you are, we had you on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, we talked about your hunting season, the success that you had. We talked about, too, like your Keystone Precision Archery. Uh, little gig that you have going on in, in your own little bow shop. I mean, heck, I'm gonna call it a bow shop. I know it is your basement, but you have all the <laughs> you have all the fixins to uh, take care of any individual. Because man, you've told me stories. Uh, you know, obviously you make make arrows, but you work on bows. You get people set up for either an old bow, getting them with new strings put on, getting them dialed in, or a brand new bow, getting them dialed in. Uh, and obviously, you talk a little bit too. Uh, I want you to talk about your 3D experience because you you you've won 
you know, you've been in some uh, 3D tournaments that you've had the honor and opportunity to, to, to take home some some trophies. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And, you know, before I forget, I'm just going to kind of ramble. I want you to do also talk about like what you've been doing, even helping me with like shot process and like how other people could like use that and help them uh, break some barriers and, and some walls. You cool with that, dude? Yeah, definitely sounds good. All right, well, let's jump right into it. So Keystone Precision Archery coming out of uh, Allentown area. So what are you doing? And then we'll kind of backtrack it from there. Yeah, so uh, Keystone Precision Archery is my little uh, bow shop, if you will. Um, I run it out of the basement of my house. Um, It started off just as, you know, my hobby and it grew and grew because, you know, I was purchasing more and more equipment to kind of, you know, better my hobby or, or get better at for my tournaments and for hunting. And, um, I had a lot of really bad, uh, experiences with bow shops and I kind of would just at my wit's end and was like, you know what, I know how to do a lot of this. Let's just take it to the next level and just learn how to do all of it at least well enough to service my own equipment. And then we'll just go from there. And so I got myself plugged in to take a, you know, uh, a technical school, a technical certification school for being a bow tech. Um, and then I bought all the equipment as soon as I graduated from that. And here we are. I have everything and anything you need that a pro shop has. Um, I don't have thousands of customers, but I do have a good handful of customers that I get on a regular basis, uh, on, on a monthly basis that come in here and uh, I will make arrows for them. I'll tune their bows. I'll do, you know, restring them, you know, whatever they need. Um, and I just have fun doing it because I learn a lot. I get to handle all different makes and models because I'm not really biased for any particular brands. And the more bows and the more people I get to see, the stronger my knowledge grows. And um, and I have a lot of fun meeting a lot of folks. So, um, again, COVID kind of put a little damper on that, but we still hung in there and, and it's fun. But at the end of the day, it, you know, if this thing doesn't blow up into like a major business i'm okay with that because this is just you know i have a full-time job this is kind of just on the side but um but yeah i i uh I, I like i like it i love it i wouldn't change a thing and we uh we always go nerd out when we talk about about stuff so it's just awesome just to have someone too like for me to just bounce ideas off of and talk and nerd out just because man i i know how much it, you get into it and i'm into it just as much so it's awesome it's fun trying to always find the next level and everything. Like, you know, you think you have your bow perfectly dialed, you're stacking arrows from, you know, 20 to 50 yards and you feel like you're just absolutely killing it. But it's like, you always are looking for the next level. You know, essentially what I tell a lot of people is unless I'm Robin putting every arrow every time, I'm not good enough. <laughs> so essentially you'll never be good enough, but that's, that's kind of like the fun draw to always like wanting to, you know, get better and, and tinker. Now, could you talk a little bit more about the the technician classes and, and what that involves for someone, you know, maybe their bow shop is far away where, you know, they can't for the little simple things, you know, always reach out or drive and have the time to go to the bow shop that might want to mm-hmm. take the class for themselves to work on their own bow and not to open up a shop, but for they could do mm-hmm. everything at home and, you know, do little things. Maybe it's the D loop or adjusting, you know, their third 
second or third axis. Can you uh, kind of explain what the, you know, how much time the, the classes are, you know, is it a weekend thing? Uh, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, um, the class that I took it was called the the, Jad, the George Chapman Technical Certification School. Um, it's hosted by uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Van Zyl, and he's up in uh, uh, near Buffalo, New York. And um, he's worked with PSE since the 70s when they first got started. Um, so super knowledgeable guy. I highly recommend his class. I know there's a, a giant waiting list to try to get in that. And that's a three-day course, um, and they do everything from – Tearing a bow all completely apart and putting it all back together, learning how to tie everything on, but also proper uh, shooting techniques, um, arrow builds, understanding all the different, you know, technical verbiage in the archery world, um, and just basically everything. At the end of it, they also give you a, uh, I call it my Bible, but it's basically a, a binder that's full of all the, everything that you did in the class, all the notes that you take, all the technical specs for all the different bows and understanding the different cam systems and things. And, uh, and that comes in handy. I still reference that quite a bit when I'm working on stuff, because like I said, I get bows in here that are, you know, 20, 30 years old. And I get bows here that are, are so new that, you know, I haven't even got my hands on it yet. So it's, it's helpful. Nice. Well, Jim, talk about what was it that kind of, put you put pushed you over the edge like what made you go you know what like you said i had this experience at the bow shop because it's such a double-edged sword when you think about it like we love supporting local businesses and like bow shops and all that stuff but in the grand scheme of things like you should be able to know how to tie a d loop you should be able to know how, like when something does go wrong with your bow you should know how to at least ha have some sort of uh capability of fixing it or uh you know i mean we'll even get into you trying to tune your your brand new prime nexus 4 and like the steps that you had to go through and the hoops that you had to go to just uh, complete that mm -hmm. like you said like hey i did everything now let's get someone else's eyes on it you know what was it for you because like for me as little as the arrows like i remember three years ago when i i purchased some uh match grade Eastern access ones. And I took them to a bow shop and then it wasn't Miller's. It was uh, a place in Altoona that moved around in there. But I remember I dropped them off. I gave them everything that I wanted done on it. I gave them the veins, everything. and just said, Hey, you know, piece these together because I'm just learning how to do it myself. I don't want to mess them up. You know what I mean? And they're like, okay, right. man, I dropped those suckers off in June. And by the time August was like rolling around, I'm calling them. Hey, when's these arrows going to be done? It's they're 12 arrows. Like how hard is that to fletch? I got them back. I picked them up. I remember I ended up only paying like 20 bucks for this. And as I was standing there, I like flicked off one of the veins and I just, I don't know. I couldn't believe what I paid. And I got home and I just gave them a call and reamed them out. And I ripped every single vein off. And I was like, screw this. I'm going to learn how to do it myself. And, you know, hold them behold everything and just went down a huge rabbit hole of everything and wanting to do this myself. So that was like for me. Uh, and it's kind of taking that step for me to start working on my own bow, getting my own press and, uh, and, and wanting to, to learn and be able to do it. So for you, what was, was your situation? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I started at an early age. I, I, my dad was, uh, just as heavily into this as I am now. Um, and all the way down to, you know, he had some homemade bow presses, you know, with using boat winches and things like 
stuff that you would never you would cringe to even to try to <laughs> use now but but i mean i remember being you know five six years old sitting on his workbench and helping him hand dip and press arrows you know um you know so i think i've been working on bows and working on arrows my whole life but now i just kind of wanted to take things to the next level and and not just learn from the school of hard knocks i wanted to really learn you know how the professionals do it so i and and i guess to better answer the question like my turning point really was um probably four or five years ago when i had bought um you know my first i guess you want to call it like flagship bow um is one that was when the pro defiance first came out it might have been only three years ago maybe the pro defiance series came out Hoyt. um i had some you know upper level bows before that some PSCs and hoists and things but that was my first like you know flagship bow and i had bought it from a, a local a local shop um and you know they treated me nice in the beginning they were all happy to sell me the bow and whatnot but anytime i needed you know I, anytime i needed like tuning or you know after so long like you're you get a little bit of uh, cable and string stretching and things adjusted it just seemed like every time i needed some work they just treated me like you know like I wasn't important and they just kind of put things on the back burner and oh drop it off we'll call you in a couple of days when it only now knowing what I know it only takes a few minutes and I, I just was getting frustrated with the service and the disservice I guess you want to say and um and the quality you know a lot of the things that I know now the, the quality of what I was paying for to your point is just just complete garbage I mean it it's actually it's kind of sad uh, that people pay as much as they pay for the kind of craft that they're getting. And, you know, I, sh I sent you guys a lot of pictures and stuff before of guys that have brought me arrows, like that one, uh, my buddy Justin that came in here and brought me a dozen arrows that he paid for. And uh, he was shooting like the Gold Tip Hunter Pros. It was like a, you know, $250 dozen. Okay. So it's not cheap by any means. And he brought them in here and they were just like completely, it looked like the guy had put a bowl of glue and he had just dipped them in glue and then stuck the fleshings on. If you guys remember that picture, but yep. um, it's just things like that, that really put me over the edge. And I've had a lot of things like that with myself and I was just, just tired of it. So I just wanted to take the knowledge that I had and take it to the next level and just never have to go back to them again. It's, it's essentially no different than, guys that like to work on cars you know they just they don't ever need to take it to a shop because they have the equipment and they know they have the knowledge to do it themselves well i even think going off of that is if you're into you know backpack hunting out west or even you know if you're diving deep into the woods here on in the eastern states for whitetail knowing how to fix your bow or those even those minute things like d loops or you know maybe it's the the string to your your rest that's malfunctioning or if not you know maybe you slice it uh knowing how to fix those things and not have to waste that hunt where you could kind of quickly do it and, and service your bow yourself instead of having to basically uh dive out of the woods go to find a pro shop that may be open may not be open is is a huge deal for sacrificing you know a day or multiple days of a hunt yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i've also had some experiences where i've been out of state right and i've had a little issue with a bow and i take it to a shop one of the first questions that i get and I, this has happened at multiple shops is well did you buy that bow here well no i'm not from here right so they immediately look down upon that. A lot of shops do. I'm not saying all, but <clears throat> you know, if you didn't purchase something there or spend money in that shop, 
they're most likely less likely to help you to the quality in what you deserve. And that was another thing I used to run into all the time. And it, it like I said, it got frustrating. So, um, you know, and, and if, or if you're, if, if the shop you go into, let's just say they're an example, they're a PSE only dealer and you walk in there with a Hoyt, they obviously know that you didn't buy it there. And not to mention it's a brand in which they don't carry and, and they don't, you know, quote unquote, you know, uh, support. So they're less likely to help you. And, it's just it's kind of sad like where the industry has gone as far as archery and archery equipment and i know i know a lot of people have gone um are out there to make money and to make a living and i respect that it's just i think that it's doing a serious disservice to all the folks that really use archery you know not just as a, a sport but as an outlet for you know just a, a hobby you having the equipment in your basement and you bought it right after you got your tech school you know, what are some pieces of equipment if you do want to start working on a bow? Now, obviously, we know just because this is what we we love. You know, but for someone that's just wanting to maybe get started, or you know, trying to figure out if they want to do things at home and maybe you can mess around with. You know, the first thing that I bought was that bow vice. You know, kind of talk about what. You know, what, what do you recommend for individuals to maybe start out with doing instead of just spending like five? You know close to $800 to a thousand dollars on, you know, at home bow shop pieces of equipment. Sure. I mean, the first thing I would, I would, I would encourage anybody to do if they're getting into this is just start working on arrows. Understanding proper arrows and arrow flight is so crucial to setting up a bow. It's, you know, without the arrow, you're nothing. It's just a bow. It's just a, it's just a, an aluminum piece of aluminum with string on it. So, I highly encourage everyone to kind of start with arrows first. But if they kind of already understand arrows and they feel comfortable there and they want to get into bows, um, certainly, you know, get yourself the proper leveling tools. Um, Like you said, a bow vise, levels, uh, uh, string squares, um, tools like that. Um, A third axis maybe tool for your sights. I know Hansby makes some nice ones. Um, uh, There's one called a bright sight that's out there that, that, you know, that are, and everything's ripped relatively affordable you're only going to spend maybe a couple hundred dollars rather than a couple thousand dollars and that's going to get you to be able to set your bow up to where it's completely shootable and competitive right out of the gate now you can't change strings and do those kinds of things you still have to take it to a shop but you could still tune a bow so that's kind of like where i would start now when you're talking about arrows and uh, i think the the one piece of equipment that really helped me was getting a spinner just to make sure the arrow flight and uh just you know the arrow was a good arrow to use and you know how many times have you like you were just talking about you want to robin hood every arrow and i remember having like six arrows that i would constantly shoot and practice with and then as a season hunting season would come closer closer i would switch to the other six and start making sure those arrows were good um that's kind of like what i used to do and like now i have that arrow spinner to help me dictate, okay, these are my best arrows. And hopefully as I shoot them, it kind of dictates that dictates that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'll maybe do some type of mark on them and those are going to be the, the arrows I'm going to throw some broadheads on and test those, you know, talk about too, that little piece of equipment. And I know we just got the same one. Uh, you, you kind of our average, uh, Jack Archery, he made a video on it, and that's where you know you kind of led me to to that to grab that piece of equipment as well. Yeah, so you and I both started with the same arrow spinner. It was I, I forget what it's called. It's just a 
$20 or $30, um, just a, a plain black plastic. It has like uh, four discs. Um, they're almost like washers that, that kind of spin. And, and, and it's only about, you know, 10 inches long. And it does the job. It'll definitely, I mean, I used it. I've done dozens of arrows off of it. Um, it's fairly accurate. But the one that we saw on Average Jack Archery's video um, by Serious Archery Products, uh, that one there is two and a half times the length. So it's it's going to be way more accurate and because it's going to cover more surface area of the arrow. So you're going to see, you know, um, a much more accurate reading of if there is a, a any play in either end of the arrow. So yeah, I, I mean, I might be nuts, but I spin my arrows after every time I shoot them because every time an arrow goes into the target, you kind of have that, you know, um, that little bit of like play. You know, the back of the arrow does like a, a violent whipping motion. And over time, that could, you know, bend the arrows, especially if you're shooting like a full metal jacket or something with an aluminum casing. Um, and it could, you know, affect it over time. Not to mention if you're stacking arrows and they're hitting each other. And you, you should always, every time you take an arrow out of a target anyway, you should be giving it a little flex in a field just to make sure there's no cracks or any sort of play. And just for on a safety standpoint. But, but yeah, I, uh, having the proper straight, you know, nicely flying arrow is is so key it doesn't matter how well tuned your bow is if the arrow is not perfect um like i said it's basically just a piece of aluminum with string yeah now what uh okay so we we got our we're working on arrows we feel comfortable doing that what's that what's what are we graduating to next then what do you think yeah so after arrows you graduate to the bow vice um you're going to need something sturdy to hold the bow and to be able to level the bow so that way you can start mounting, you know, your components, your sights, your rest, stabilizers, things like that. Um, so you're going to want a nice, sturdy level workbench or, or hard surface where you can mount your bow vise. <clears throat> and then you can put your bow in whichever position is necessary for mounting all your components. Um, with some bow vices, like the one you have and the one I have, it has a you know complete 360 motion. So you can actually set the bow any position you need and, and you could tie tie in like your D loop and things like that off of that too and then in a comfortable position. So um definitely bow vice. Post a bow bow vice or with this at the same time the same purchase, I uh, would be looking at you know your string levels. So you're gonna want to be able to set your bow up in a, on a like I said a level surface and the only way to check that is if you have you know your string squares and string and um and string levels. And I think after that um I mean, if you don't have already, you'd want a really good, you know, um, uh, Archer's Allen wrench set or two. Um, I have several because I seem to lose these things like constantly. But um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, that you know, definitely Allen keys are, are going to be key. Nice. I think the Allen key uh, thing is is huge, just because I have, I think, just like a normal red one that Dimitri has, and. Uh, I think my somehow some way mine was left outside probably my doing and for some reason I don't know if the weather played a factor into it or what but they seem like they're they like shrunk because I put Dimitri's in my uh draw stop uh on, on the prime just because like I, I told you I've been having issues with it coming loose a little bit and when I tighten mine down I can't crank mine with it it's just mm -hmm. it. It seems to lose that. I don't know if if it's the screw itself or or what. 
Uh, but when I put Dimitri's in, I was able to crank it down a little bit more. I mean, it's still coming loose a little bit, but uh, I I need to order another set, just like you said, just because either I know exactly where it is or I I don't. So having plenty of exactly. those around <laughs> is a is a yeah, and I mean they, big help. They do wear they do wear out over time, so you never want to strip any of your components. I mean, you spend a lot of money on these things, and um, you want to make sure you're using the exact right size um, Allen key. And, you know, even though you buy, like, you know, you could buy generic Allen wrench sets at, like, Home Depot or Lowe's and things like that. Um, there are some specific sizes that are, you know, are, are specific to, you know, bows. So, that, like, I always recommend the Archer's you know, Allen wrench sets because they'll, it'll cover everything. And then we're going into, what, the bow press next, you think? Um, let's think about this. The next phase after that would probably be... Um, no, actually I would buy a serving jig. Okay. So, um, a serving jig is, is key because now if, if you're at this point, you're able to mount all your components and you're able to square everything up. You want to be able to, um, get the right knock fit for your arrows. And if the string that you have the stock string on your bow, or if it was the string that was put on by a shop or what have you, um, if the serving size is not proper, you're not going to have the right knock fit, which is going to completely dismantle the entire tune of your bow. All right. So, so you want to be able to, so before, before you get into that, knock fit so we want to hear that click right yeah you want click and you definitely want to have a little bit of play you should be able to move your arrow back and forth let's picture that your bow is your stabilizer is facing the floor okay and when your arrow is knocked you, again it swings like a pendulum you should be able to turn that arrow either direction to you or away from you and have it and your d-loop should not move so there should be enough play to where that that arrow swings free make sense perfect sense yep so um you always want to check your the knock fit and if the knock fit's not perfect you know you want to be able to you know teach yourself or learn how to reserve your string and it's helpful to know anyway because if you're a guy like me or you that you know put thousands of arrows down range a year and you're going to blow out servings and strings and stuff like crazy it's uh cost effective to buy that little tool i like it I, I end up, I have one. I've yet to use one. <laughs> so uh -huh. ho hopefully, uh, it's, you know, that's something well, we got to get you guys down here and we could do a little, you know, yeah, tutorial. tutorial. Yep. I like it, man. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, so after that, then I would definitely invest in, um, cause now you're at the point where you could tie on the maximum amount of things you could tie on mount the maximum amount of things you could mount. So now it would be, you'd be looking at a bow press. Now there's hundreds of, well, not hundreds, but there's quite a few different bow presses. Obviously the, sure. the, the main one that you'd see, uh, at home shops is probably that the easy green, I would say is probably the most common. That's the one that, uh, is on order for here, uh, at my house, but I know you mm -hmm. have a different one and that's the kind of equipment again, that you're schooling use mm -hmm. and you were just able to purchase, you know, through that. Uh, what, what do you need to look for? in a bow press like are they all made kind of the same what's different just because again like i'm a newbie when it comes to all that type of stuff sure i'm a huge you know uh, in my regular profession you know uh, i'm partially a safety director so like i am a huge safety guy yeah so uh, one of the first things i look for is, is how sturdy is it how safe does it look does it have locking points or areas where the bow if the bow were to malfunction or if the press were to malfunction is there like a backup for anything 
So in, in my, in the case of my press, which I have, uh, what's called a spike press, and it's, it's built by the Archery Tooling Corporation, which, uh, that gentleman manufactures these presses for actual manufacturers all across the country. Um, it's in a lot of shops too, but it, it was mainly, um, putting these out there for, uh, manufacturers. So like if you were to go to like PSE's, you know, manufacturing plant, you're going to see dozens of these across the board. Um, and what I like about it is that it has these little bumper bumpers underneath. So when the bow's mounted in um, the brackets where, uh, you know, alongside each of the cams underneath it, these little bumpers come out and lock. So that way, if something were to malfunction, the bow can't just still can't fall out of the press. So that part I like a lot. Um, outside of the safety aspect, you want to look at um, the actual tabs. Um, I don't know the technical term for them anymore. It's probably in my book somewhere, but the, the, I call them tabs. They're basically like the forks that are up near that are actually going to um, compress your limbs. So you want to make sure that those are going to be um, universal or functional uh, for all different types of bows and different um, limb styles or be able to change them out for those reasons. Because you'll have like, for an example, Matthew's limbs have those little... Uh, metal brackets on the edge of the limbs and you, you want to have, you know, your press needs to be able to fit that. Um, you have limbs that are over parallel and you have limbs that are parallel. So they're going to be at different angles and being able to compress the limbs properly is going to be key for not only your safety, but the safety of the bow and the longevity of the bow. You, you never want to put too much torque or any torque on the riser. You want to flex the limbs just as they would be flexed if you were drawing it. What, what advice do you, can you give, Cause I mean, I know you've given me stuff and like what to look forward to basically. Uh, how could you, if someone is doing this, obviously they want to take the plunge, but it's also could be a lot, you know, they're not doing it. I'm, I'm assuming an individual doing this is not going to strive for like, Oh, I'm going to open up my own bow shop in my basement. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That hasn't like, if that's the case, I'm sure they've done it or have been doing it for, for quite some time. What advice though, for someone that is going to take that plunge of wanting to work on it and learn, you know, what are those things that you wish someone would have told you or did tell you in your schooling, uh, that you, you think you wouldn't have got if you didn't go to that? Like what, like what, what are you going to kind of give Dimitri and I the tips and tricks or some insight of like, Hey, just make sure you do this. Like you said, I know safety is a big thing. And I know that's actually probably a couple handful of times I've heard you say that. And, you know, at first I was like, Oh, why you put the bow in a press and you just turn that knob and like, we're good to go. You know what I mean? Like I, mm -hmm. you, you don't, you don't think of like, Oh, well, if you torque the riser, like that's going to have some effect to it. If, <laughs> if you know what I mean? Like that, that yeah. that's going to have some detrimental, uh, uh, repercussions. I'll tell you what, when, when you guys get going with this and, and you have any spare limbs laying around, this is a, this is a great bar trick. You, you take, you know, when you take limbs out of, of a bow and let them decompress and just straighten out, they are going to be completely flat straight. I mean, like bench top straight. Now, if you look at them just at resting your bow without any flex at all, they're at, you know, a fairly significant curve, right? Right. Now, what I, guys that don't really know any better, or like I said, a good bar trick after people have had a few beers, you take one of those limbs in there and you say, listen, I'll bet you $1,000 right now you can't bend this thing, right? You could use your knee, you could use a table, you could use a tool, it doesn't matter, try to bend this thing. And I've seen guys, like big guys, you know, really like get red in the face and struggle trying to bend these things. So that's just one of them. And your bow has four. 
So there's a tremendous amount of pressure under, you know, at, with these bows just at rest. So in order to get the strings and the cables and everything off, you're going to put even more pressure on them to, you know, essentially loosen those, those cables and strings. So that's why I always preach safety so much because there's enough pressure in those limbs to really hurt you, you know, significantly. Yeah. So yeah, safety is always like, you know, the big one with that. I think that is definitely my, without a question, my biggest takeaway from my school, because I think most people think the same way. Oh, you put it in the press and you kind of turn the wheel and it, and it presses it. And, you know, from there you could just work on it, you know? And, and that was every, I think that's everyone's uh, general thought, but understanding how to make the proper adjustments on your press to press your bow properly is not only going to be good for you, but good for your bow. And, um, especially if you're going to be charging people and, and things to, to work on their stuff, you definitely don't. I mean, with these, these presses are so strong to be able to, you know, do what I just explained that you could easily with the, the slightest of mistake, you could easily bend someone's riser or, or crack a limb or, you know, put pressure on. I mean, my very first time in my class as an example, I had taken one of my hoists up there and the, uh, the string stops on the hoist are you're, kind of, you were, kind of, you were a big Hoyt guy. I'm sorry. You were a big ho- Hoyt guy. Yeah, I was a big white guy. Yeah, I was a big white guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I took I took one of my hoists up to um, uh, to my class, and they have those. Uh, th- their strength stops kind of protrude. They're a little they're a little bit larger than a lot of the other brands, right? And when I was putting my bow in the press, I was watching one side of the bow, but I wasn't paying attention to the other side quite as much. And I kept pressing it and I wasn't seeing anything flex. And meanwhile, when I looked down the other side, my cams were completely cocked like a 45 degree angle in, in a direction in which you don't want them to be. And I ended up breaking off one of my string stops and it happened so fast that like, you know, it was just an eye opening experience. And so just understanding how the press works and how it should work to work on that particular bow and that model of, of, of limb and cam system that's going to be super key. Yeah. Now, so an individual has now, let's say we, an individual buys all this stuff. They start working on it. Mm-hmm. Like I, we, we just said earlier, right in the beginning of all this, it, like it's a double-edged sword because you want to support local and all that stuff. That doesn't mean you don't have to not buy your bow from them, from a bow shop. Do you know what I mean? So like you still could go mm-hmm. buy and you know, this is what you basically have been doing and you had the experience to do this past year, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, I have my license now to be a, um, uh, like a boat, like a dealer. Mm-hmm. So I, I, if I worked up to that and made some friends with some companies, maybe I could get my hands on some bows and actually sell those. But I don't know if that's something I'm going to do in the future or not, but that's neither here nor there. So like basically what I'm getting at is that I enjoy still going into shops and talking bow talk with guys like ourselves. And, and that's why I like to give my money to those local places. So I'm okay. I, as long as the shop is okay with it, I like to go in there and, and just pick out a bow and be like, yeah, man, I can take that home. And if it's okay with you guys, I, you know, I work on my own bows. I have my own little thing. I'd like to just purchase a bow and, um, I appreciate it, you know? And in the case of my prime, which we can get into that then, yeah, I had such a such a hard time. Well, before it. yeah, before before you do that, talk about <laughs> what how you stumbled upon getting the prime. Like, what was your process? Just because I think a lot of people 
like you, my first flagship model bow that I ever purchased was a Hoyt Pro Define. I, you know me. I'm just busting oh, so you. Oh, you were a big Hoyt guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you were a big Hoyt guy. <laughs> so, hey, so was Dimitri. Dimitri had one too, man. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with Hoyt. Not, you know, we're not bashing anybody. It's just, you know, it's just funny. Um, yeah. But so that was the first model that I bought. And I remember going into the shop going, ah, man, I didn't, I don't really care for that riser, the way the aesthetics looked. And man, I really liked that Matthews. The, it was the Halon 32 at the time. And I went to the uh, archery shop and the first one I shot was the Halon 32. And I remember shooting it and being like, wow, I don't like this. <laughs> like literally I was like one shot in. I was like, no, hell, no. <laughs> <laughs> heck no yep. and yep. then i shot the pro defiant well first he he gave me like the last year's model of their carbon bow and uh i was you know even it that was even more expensive than the new pro defiant and yeah. uh i didn't care for it and all that stuff anyway so he gave me the pro defiant to shoot and i loved it absolutely loved it and that's what i ended up buying and you know so I only shot again two, three different models, and I settled on one that I just thought going into it I would not like, and I love that bow. I mean, you and I—I've talked about this multiple times. Those of you that have been here from mm -hmm. the beginning, that's probably the 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 number one bow that I shot the best. Now, maybe two. My form was a lot better back then, but uh, we'll get into that later down the line. However, uh, what? So talk about your experience. Dimitri did the same thing. And Dimitri, you could chime in too about this, like, you know, shooting the different models until you settled in on like the Bowtech and the Prime now this year and Bowtech a couple of years ago. But what was yours, Jim? And then Dimitri, you could even chime in then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, Lancaster Archery Supply did like a, an open shoot, I guess you want to call it, where they had one of every flagship bow out and folks were welcome to come in and sign up and wait in line and kind of get in there and, and shoot, you know, all the bows that you wanted to, right? So um, I was probably the only one that went in there with a notepad. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I went in prepared to, because having a little bit of background, like, you know, like I've explained in, in understanding bows and their different technologies, I, I, I had a pretty good game plan as to what I was going to like and not like, but I took my notepad in there to really dissect them. So um, I just went down the line. I mean, I shot, I shot everything, everything that's out. I've shot primes. I shot elites. I've shot bear. I shot Hoyt. I shot PSE. Um, I shot Athens. Um, you, you name it. If it was out in 2020 or 2021, I shot it. Um, so I made my notes, detailed notes on every single one of them and weighed my options. And there, there really was no perfect bow at the end of the day, but there was a bow that checked more boxes than the others. And for me, it was the Nexus 4. So uh, I put one on order. And you know, already know the story and the saga behind that. We don't have to get into that. But it took, you know, basically 16 weeks or something to get back to me. I ended up canceling my order and buying a bow through another local shop. And it worked out anyhow. I got the bow that I wanted. But um, upon getting that bow, I get it home and I bolt everything on and I set the sight and the third axis on the site and I get my rest put on and the arrow squared and everything is just looking complete money. And it took me days of trying to shoot bullet holes and I could not get this thing to tune. I had to take the bow so far out of center shot to get it to shoot a bullet hole. It just, it bothered me. Now, 
other people probably would have been like, oh, it shoots a bullet hole, it's fine. And it would, it would have probably grouped fine. The problem with me is that I shoot ridiculous ranges sometimes, especially at the total archery challenges and stuff that, you know, past 40 yards, you're going to either run out of uh, windage adjustments um, on your site, or your groupings are just going to start to explode past there just due to the fact that your, your arrow is so far out of center shot. So now your arrow has to do a lot more steering in order to put it back to where, you know, you want it to go. So um, I threw up the white flag and respectfully took the bow back to the dealer in which I purchased it. And I said to the guy, I said, listen, I've been doing this for a while, but I'm sure you guys have been doing this longer than me. Please do everything you can. I, I, I've tried to set this thing up and I just can't do it. And I know when to say when. So um, I ended up getting a call back from that dealer and they took them over a week and they could not figure it out. So it made me feel better <laughs> for one that my, that my skills were at least uh, equal with theirs. Um, and it turned out that um, there was a bad limb, uh, upper limb on this bow. Um, so the factory had, had to replace those. Um, there, it wasn't cracked or anything. It just was, it was considered weak. So it just wasn't, uh, didn't have the right speed and strength that it needed in order to keep the bow in tune. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we had swapped the limbs. We had done all kinds of things. I had put a brand new set of America's Best Bow Strings on it, uh, the whole nine, and we couldn't get the tune. But um, luckily, the fact uh, Prime held good for it and was able to get the, that, those limbs back over to that shop. And they, the guy set it up for me, and, and it's great. Um, I've since brought it home and tweaked it even more. Because back to like what I was saying before, these shops maybe don't quite spend the time on it that you would really want because they – they have a lot of people to deal with and it's not quite as personal as it would be in your own house. So I was able to fine tune a little bit more and now I have this thing so dialed that um, I'm super excited to get into some 3D this year. Nice. Now, Dimitri, what was your experience like trying to find that, that right bow? Cause I remember like when you were going through that as well. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest thing, the mistake people make with trying to shoot different bows is, you know, you go into an archery shop, you, you, most people don't even have them set it up to their draw length and they're picking up a bow. Maybe they're, you know, are they at a show or at the bow shop and, and they pick it up and maybe they take some shots through it. You know, one, a lot of times that bow's not even set up for them, you know, and, and we've all drawn bows that are either too short or too long for us. And it's really hard to get an accurate feel of what that, that bow is going to be like for you. And, and again, we've said it multiple times on here, you know, different bows are going to fit people differently. And so that's the first mistake I think a lot of people make. And the second one is, you know, even if it is set up to your draw, you know, what do we do? We go up to the range or they, they put a target out in front of us and we draw the bow back, maybe hold it for a second or two, and then we release an arrow. Right. So, you know, the biggest thing is you're basically going off the feel of the draw length. So you're basically picking a bow off of one component when you're going to take that bow, you're going to set it up, you're going to put sight rest, all, all the gadgets onto that bow. And then when you get out to the range, you're, you know, you're drawing back, you got to think about, you know, grip, right? Is the grip good? You know, is it aiming well? Is it, is it holding level for you? You know, are you torquing it because of the grip doesn't fit you well? So there's so much more that goes into shooting a bow accurately and creating good groups that I think when you're, you're at the shop, you got to think about all, all the aspects of the shot 
when you're trying to pick a bow, right? You know, because just because a draw or you know a draw cycle is smooth or it's easy for you to pull back doesn't mean you're going to be accurate with that bow or like that bow while you're out in the woods hunting. So, you know, when I was picking a bow, I was trying to not make that mistake. So I was trying to, you know, one, once I drew it back, held it for a little bit, you know, check my grip. Was the grip, did it feel good in my hand? Um, I know with the, the Nexus fours, I finally got out this weekend and I was able to, you know, put some shots through it because we we sighted in the site a couple weeks ago, uh, but I didn't really get that chance to, you know, draw the bow back, settle the pin, and, and make shots. Uh, and I was able to do that. And man, that Nexus Four for me, it was the first bow that when I drew back and settled on the target, uh, the other bows that I had, I'd constantly had to check my bubble. And, and, and kind of torque my hand to get that bubble centered, I felt like. But with the Nexus 4, I was checking my bubble, but, I mean, that bubble was right there each time when I was making the shot. So, you know, going off what Jeremy wants to talk about is, you know, if you're picking a bow, you're, you know, one, check your draw length, make sure it's accurate. You know, if you're spending a 1000 bucks on a bow or plus make sure that that shop's willing to, you know, each bow you shoot adjusted to what your draw length is. I mean, I think that's very important. And then two, try to kind of make sure all the components of the shot, you're kind of analyzing them as you're, as you're shooting those newer bows. What do you think about that, Jim? Yeah, no, excellent points. Um, to tack on to that, actually, um, I was probably a huge pain in the ass for Lancaster because, <laughs> Uh, there, another big thing that a lot of people don't really notice is that the bows are not at in time. So they'll come from the factory completely out of time and you, no one, just the, the standard person drawing the bow would not notice because when you put back tension on a bow, it's the, the cams are going to settle in to wherever they need to be in order to fill the draw stops or, or I'm sorry, the string stops hit the cables. Right. But it's going to feel like the back wall is either stiffer than it should be or cushier than it should be um it, it's going to completely change the feel of the bow and it's also going to completely change the shot process and shot feel of the bow so having them in time is super crucial which i should have talked about earlier because um if we were to if you were to level up past a press you should definitely get a draw board because having them the bows in time and things like that is going to be crucial uh, a draw board and a, a scale to, to check poundage those are the two last features but um to stay on this topic uh, yes, definitely have the shops, check the timing, check your draw length and make sure that it feels right because it is just so critical in the, in the longevity and, and, and not creating bad habits down the road that the bow is perfectly set up for you. Well, that is important because even Dimitri, when you and I picked up our bow, how many times did they have to change our draw length even for that? Like they set it up for us, obviously. And when we went in, they, you know, did the final touches with our peep side and are making sure, you know, we're, we're all timed and, and tuned up and everything, but they changed yours three times. And I think for me, three times as well. Yeah. And I, I think every bow manufacturer is going to be a little different, you know, just because you're a 29 inch draw for, for one manufacturer doesn't mean you're going to be 29 down the board. So, you know, I think it is important when you're setting up your bow, you know, whether you can, you're able to feel it yourself. If you have some experience or have that person 
take a look at where you're at and how that looks because you know uh for me i felt like i was okay but you know bryce suggested going a little little bit higher on the draw length uh we went up uh half an inch which felt like it really made a difference once i was at that point and drawing that bow back and i shot a little bit i could see why that half an inch made a big difference yeah now jim talk about because uh, i hope that helped out any individual looking to go into buying a new bow just because you know it, it's it's it is really important because like dimitri even said if you go in there trying to spend a thousand dollars plus you want to make sure you know you're coming home with something later down the line you're not you know, uncomfortable with and trying to sell and go over the process all over again. Yeah. And the way things are going right now, you are waiting 16 weeks for a bow. It seems like for any manufacturer. So, uh, that, you know, keep that in mind. But then when you think about this, Jim, this is now where I want you to talk to again. And I know we're kind of jumping and we're going back to certain things. And we were talking about arrows earlier, you know, the importance of having the correct spine, uh you like so now you got the bow set up you're whether it's in your home or at the bow shop you have what you need now you're buying a set of arrows let's do your setup just because you know it in and out and it's what you're doing for a lot of people so i mean heck even if you want to give other examples go for it but like where talk about that the, the one the importance of having the correct spine what that does for tunability and then two how that translates into either 3d or hunting yeah yeah like i said earlier uh, bows send out a tremendous amount of energy and you know the only the only object taking that all that energy is going to be your arrow so um understanding your draw weight and your draw length um, and all the charts that are out there to get you at least in the ballpark to start as far as spine goes is super crucial. You know, all the different arrow manufacturers have out their specific charts, and I highly recommend looking into those um, to get started. Now, that doesn't say that you need to stay with those, um, and I'll get into why in a second. But um, as an example for, for, my, for myself, I prefer to hunt with full metal jackets. Um, I'm currently running 300 spines. Um, I like to run 50 grain brass inserts to hit inserts up front, um, and I use a 100 grain head. Uh, in the tail end, I use, you know, obviously the, the Ethan X-Mac that comes on the FMJs, and I use a four-fletch configuration and with uh, a, a five-inch um, arrow wrap uh, color of my choice. Um, the whole thing comes in right at, like, 515 grains, and it's right at, like, 10 and a half. Sometimes it flirts with 11% FOC. So it's not, you know, people have been pushing a lot of crazy FOC lately and things like that, but I don't really try to focus on that. I try to focus on the weight that I want and the speed that I want, and that's kind of where, where everything kind of marries up, and it seems to, to work well for me. Now, talk about the spine itself. How does that play in, into tuning a bow? Yeah, yeah, so... Um, I guess the first question you need to ask yourself is what do you want to do with it? Are you going to keep 3D with it? Are you going to hunt with it? Do you want to do a little bit of both with it? Um, those are some of the first questions you're going to want. Cause you're, at, at that point, you're going to figure out, okay, if I'm going to hunt with it, do I want to shoot something really heavy? Do I need, want to shoot a lot of FOC? All those sorts of things. Because if you're going to do that and you're going to stack a bunch of weight up front, you're going to want a stiffer spine arrow because the more weight you put on the arrow, 
that add, you know that that takes more of the energy and the arrow will flex more uh hence why you need a stiffer spine so um if you want something that's going to be more on the lighter side um then you're going to want something that maybe is uh, closer to the spine index that is given to you on those arrow charts that we talked about uh but yeah definitely having the the properly a properly spined arrow for the the type of um you know, thing you're going to do with it, that, that, that is super critical. Nice. Nice. That, cause that's, I mean, I have some arrows that are 340. I have some that are 300. Uh, and, and it kind of, for, for me, I've, I've, let's just go with the, my Nexus arrows that I have built. They are coming in right out with the, uh, 50 grains, uh, of the outsert insert right up front. That is, I believe I'm, I'm running that at like 485 with a hundred grain tip. Uh, my Easton mm-hmm. access are coming in and, and those are 300 spine. My Easton access, I have both, I have a 300 and a 340. Uh, my, my 300 are coming in at like 505. My 340s are coming in at like 490. Mm-hmm. And then, I have 300 spine FMJs that are coming in with a hundred grain head at like 525 ish. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you're shooting 70 pound draw, which is pretty standard across the board for most guys, right? Yep. Um, and your draw length is at like 28 or 28 and a half or something, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think I'm at a 28 and a half on the Nexus 4. Yeah, I'm a 28 okay. and a half. Yeah. Which is interesting, not to get off topic, but. Um, all three of us had the same experience where our draw lengths were slightly longer for this bow. Yeah. Now I ended up taking mine back down to 28 and a half because I was able to get a little bit more bend in my front elbow and it's a little bit more comfort for those long 3d, you know, 3d shoots that I'm going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to shoot 29, just a hair over actually 29 pretty comfortably for a hunting setup. And I actually might do that. That's the other beauty of having your own equipment is that you could, fiddle around with that between hunting and, and 3d but nice. but uh but yeah it's interesting that the, the nexuses all came in like that um it just must be the the way that the string angle is or something yeah and that was the one because i remember when we when i first brought it down there i remember john michael saying he's like i'm gonna set it up for a 27 and a half and <laughs> we moved it up a whole inch just because we moved it to mm-hmm. i think like 28 and then we so i got it adjusted twice and then it was the 20 and a half and i shot that for a couple shots and was like yeah that that's where we need to be um but yeah and so when you have that like dimitri you're at 29 right 29 and a half so dimitri's at a 29 and a half so he's almost peaking that bow at its full efficiency is that right jim yeah uh yeah i mean you can get different mods um or you could you can get yeah, you get different mods for the cams, and you could probably get a little bit more out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, he's flirting with that that maximum for for that particular bow, which I'm super jealous. Long guys <laughs> always win in every sport. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I again like we're you know we love our our primes and uh, but you like you said you had issues uh, with getting it tuned and you you got that pretty fixed and you know Demetri, I said to you. A couple weekends ago when we were sighting in how quiet your bow was um and jim like you you know we you talked about 
someone that you've been in contact with and having kind of mm-hmm. the same issues that you were having, um, you know, what, what, ha- like what kind of, as far as the sound issue are, are you having with your bow? Mine's like, it's a pretty heavy thunk, you know, and you, you notice it more obviously when you're shooting around like objects, like, like the side of my house or up against like a cluster of trees or something. And mm-hmm. it just, it seems significantly louder than let's just say like a Matthews or, um even my Hoyt from last year um so i i don't know what that is about it and i've heard the same complaints from like other people shooting it um is it enough to like you know deter me from shooting this bow absolutely not you know i'm gonna hunt with it i'm gonna shoot 3d with it it's gonna be awesome but it is a pinch louder than i would have probably anticipated but that's just again that's me being picky but i've other other guys like yourself that say this thing is significantly quiet so i don't know if some bows are just it was a maybe a bad bad run in the factory or what the case is but. yeah because what do you think Dimitri? have you do you th- i mean no I, I i mean my thought mine was quieter than my Botech was for yeah. sure yeah i thought so too like when you i mean i just again i think it's because of your draw length of how you're it's it's all like even your on your bow tech it was a 29 and you know you were it just always seemed like even too when you were shooting that that sucker was just screaming um and even when we were dialing in yours when we were shooting that i've i don't know I've, it felt like it was shooting so straight like you're you had such a nice flat trajectory even out at 60 yards sighting that sucker in it was just like boom boom it was right there i just uh like you said, I'm excited to see when we get together for TAC and, you know, Jim, you're getting ready for some 3d action. Now what, you know, what, uh, what, what does someone have, you know, kind of expect when you start participating in some uh, 3d for, you know, either money or for some trophies, what, you know, how did you get into that? And, uh, what do you have on the horizon for that right now? Yeah. So I got into it, you know, way back in the day, like I said, my dad was big time into archery. Um, so I was a little kid, you know, like his arrow caddy running around the courses with him and just handing him arrows and picking his, going, running down range for him and getting the arrows and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into doing that. And then I just started to join like local leagues, just start to talk to people in the shops and stuff, you know, guys that are, have the same passion as you or that and just enjoy flinging arrows, just get talking to them. And you'd be surprised how many different like little clubs or different things that are out there that maybe not necessarily don't do it for money and stuff. And, and in the beginning, that's how I started. I just, you know, went around for fun and you'd pay 10 bucks or whatever it was to go out and shoot for the day. And you just have a good time, have a couple of beers. And um, and then it morphed into where, you know, us being ex-sports people, you kind of want a little bit more competition and then you throw some money in the line. It just makes it a little bit. And I, I like that because not only is it, you know, I get the competitive edge, but also it helps me in like a stressful situations. So like it's very, it mimics hunting very well. Yeah. You know, where a lot of, a lot of eyes are on you, your heart's pumping, you got to keep yourself under control. Um, and I really enjoy that part of it. So, um, so yeah, I highly encourage folks to get involved with 3d shoots. I need, I think Dimitri needs to do it. I've been his, I've been his biggest fan. Yeah. I've, I've been pushing him for the last freaking year and a half. Dude, every time I, every time I hear you guys on a podcast or every time I talk to you, he's, you're constantly saying Dimitri's got like the golden trigger. Or something. Yeah. So, nah, I don't um, think so. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, there's pressure involved, it's a different story. <laughs> I will say, like uh, I said, these 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 long guys have a lot of like you know they have a lot more forgiveness. They're going to shoot naturally, going to shoot faster. Their arrows are going to be flatter. So I mean, man, if if you if you're a good shot and you're a tall guy, you got you got the makings of uh, of winning some cash. So that's why Levi Morgan's so good, huh? 
That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jim was first, you know, maybe since you've been in the competitive with 3d and being a hunter, uh, but with someone that's just maybe going to tack or maybe doing local 3d, do you recommend that they just kind of keep their arrow set up the same that they're going to be hunting with that fall? Or, you know, is it okay to kind of play with, you know, a 3d, uh, arrow in a hunting arrow throughout the year uh what's your suggestions on that yeah so if you're going to do a local 3d i would stick with and you're just getting into it i would stick with your hunting setup you're going to understand your hunting setup you're going to understand where you need to hold at certain distances depending if you're shooting a a single pin or a multi-pin or adjustable sight or whatever the case is you're going to learn your setup way more doing it that way um but if you're going to do tact or something a little more extreme or you're going to do it a little bit more competitively then i would definitely run a different arrow just because it'll um it'll make you one more competitive it'll um but also you're not going to be damaging your expensive um you know uh hunting setups and um you'll you'll just have a you'll have more fun because you're going to shoot tighter groups at longer ranges if you shoot a 3d setup but for the for the the guy that's just getting into it no better way on the planet to learn your setup than to get out there and shoot some foam. Yeah. That's awesome. Good, good point there, Demetri. I like that. Yeah. I'm, I, I think too, that helps. Like you said, it, it gets you in those, those opportunities of, of hunting like situations. And if you're just kind of doing those local shoots here and there, like, yeah, shoot your hunting setup. See what, like you said, Jim, you know, where do you need to hold? I think that's really important for, you know, practice. I mean, obviously you, if you're hunting on in a tree, you're not, taking those shots at a uh, 3d shoot but at the same time you 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 know you get some type of realistic hunting situations yep i I will say like even last year um you know that that the the 3d shoot the ibo shoot that i won last year i was shooting my my complete hunting setup i was shooting my 300 spine fmjs like i just explained um i'll shoot my hoyt at the time i had you know obnoxious 80 pound limbs on them because i was you know part of i wanted to see what all the hype was about um, but I, that setup just worked and, um, it, it's, it's, it's rewarding to get in, to go in there and you see guys with, um, you know, a lot of times you're in a hundred class, so your, your bows are pretty uh, equivalent. But if you're in some open classes, uh, you got guys with 30 inch stabilizers and then you're walking in there with your 10 or 12 inch stabilizer and your 515 grain arrow. That's like, you know, a fraction of the diameter of what they're shooting. And they look at you like, what the hell are you doing? You know, but if you can compete with them. Um, with your hunting setup, I mean, that, that is, it's, it makes it fun, you know, to kind of get the last laugh there. But, um, but again, I, you don't really do it to get in there and, and win. You do it more to, to learn your setup and to, to take that confidence into the win. Awesome, man. Well, I don't, I, I man, we, we've been going over an hour already, but I don't want to keep, you know, keep going as far as, but there's, there's some, a couple other things that I think we could get into that aren't going to be, uh, crazy, but, you know, I know you shoot a wrist release, correct? Still, yes. Yep. You know, talk about that. I just feel like that's been shunned on the past like year and a half. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I came across a post on one of the groups on on Facebook, and they're like, "I'm shooting a wrist strap now." And I was watching a couple tack videos, and I saw a lot of people, more than anybody, really shooting like you know handheld releases. Like, should I get one? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if you're shooting really good with your wrist strap and you're not struggling from, you know, crazy target panic and stuff like that, then like continue to shoot it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like just talk about that a little bit. And just because you've worked with people, uh, shooting, you've, you have, 
you know, you've won <laughs> with a wrist strap. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, let's keep things in perspective. I mean, everybody sees the latest and greatest gear on TV or on YouTube or whatever, and they, they go out and buy it. I'm guilty of that myself, right? So I have had so many people come in here with, you know, the Noctuits or the Silverbacks or these different high-end releases, and they're just totally unprepared for it. So I encourage everybody to start with a wrist strap. For one, it's going to be way safer for you and the bow, way more control just to get started and understand the shot process. Um, but not only that, I mean, let's think, you know, what happened 20, 30 years ago, guys were winning tournaments and shooting elk in Montana and shit with wrist strap releases. So why we get away from that if it works, right. you know? And I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, not shoot a handheld release because for a lot of folks it works and, and it's been proven time and time again. But, you know, to your point, let's not shun the wrist strap guy, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, I had a, a, a pretty substantial baseball injury where I don't have complete function of my right index finger. So I am deadlocked to a wrist strap release forever because I can't physically hold a um, handheld. So, that, but that does, obviously doesn't mean that I can't learn to use my wrist strap like a handheld, you know, with having the right back pressure and not flapping it and just pulling through the shot. You could still accomplish all those same things with a wrist strap. And I just think that people just need to put the time in with it and they'll get that. Yeah. No, that's, that's good stuff. Demetri, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, I, I think what's, whatever is comfortable for you. I, I know I was always a wrist strap guy and, and last year I, I made the switch to a handheld and, you know, I, I think I, I was accurate with the, with the handheld and, and, but I, I, at the end of the day, after hunting season, I, I felt like I wanted to go back to the wrist strap, you know, just being in the situations in the tree and, you know, the cold weather and, and, and several factors, I felt more secure if I would have had a handheld, you know, I'm not, you know, I do local 3d doing tech this year, so I'm not competitively. So, you know, I think just a wrist strap makes more sense for me. Yeah. I kind of agree with, with what you just said. I, you know, I tried to knock to it and I remember my first couple of shots with the knock to it. I was like, Holy cow, I'm freaking so much more accurate this thing. And, you know, kind of, you know, things, habits, you know, started to creep in more with that than ever before. I, I actually came across a video of me, Jim and Dimitri, when I was shooting my pro defiant, I was just going through photos and videos and, you know, Jim, like how you helped me out with my shot. Um, you know, I've, I had a couple flyers the other night with, with Dimitri and, but you know, for the most part getting sighted in it, I had, I felt pretty good. And, uh, I shot a little bit today and, uh, it's, it's all, it's a process, man. And, you know, you've helped me like how you were saying to try to feel that, that back tension a little bit with your wrist strap release. And, uh, I remember I, I first started, with my index finger behind the trigger, you know, when, when we were working, Mm -hmm. you know, Jim and I was holding it there for that four seconds. And then I, then I would put my, my finger over. And what I was noticing happening was my whole sight picture changed because I was like moving, you know what I mean? And I, and I was like, well, I'm just restarting this whole process all over again. And I remember being, (laughs) we were FaceTiming and you go, put your finger on the trigger. I was put my finger on the trigger and you're like, don't shoot. And did not shoot. And you're just like, just feel it. Like, just, you know, I know that kind of sounds funny right now, but like, you're like, just, yeah, yeah. just, just be it's comfortable. An adult show. Yeah. yeah. Adult show. <laughs> you're like, just feel, just feel comfortable with that, you know, your finger on the trigger there. 
and yeah. just you know pull and just continue to work on that and uh you know i i i felt really good and i'm very appreciative of you just even helping me with that and like even dimitri helping me with it you know as well uh but you know again like dimitri said i think whatever you're comfortable shooting jim like you said some people have you know certain issues and uh whether it be a, an injury or you're just really comfortable with what you've been shooting shoot that and right. nothing wrong with that how many how many times have you guys been in a situation in the woods, specifically now maybe hunting out of a saddle where you've had to draw at like a funny angle yeah. or to get around something or lean out or whatever. And, you know, I just me personally, I feel like it's way easier to do that with a wrist strap if you have to draw or let down at funny angles. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, for me, that that's, that makes all the difference. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're hunters, you know, and yeah. And- uh, we want to be as accurate as we possibly can. And I know maybe, you know, I don't know if there is science or shit out there that says like, Hey, with a handheld, you could possibly be a little bit more accurate, but you know, you, you've been pretty accurate, Jim and Demetri, you've been pretty accurate with what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, and the more practice you do, the more comfortable you get and guess what, the better you are. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that helps. So, you know, like you said, I, I, I think whatever you see, you know, if someone has a bow in the hand, man, you know, tip your hat to them. That's what it's about in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. Dude, I I think we kind of covered a little bit of everything. I'm sure there's yep. a ton that we're missing. And if anybody that listens to this, uh, if we miss something that we didn't hit, you know, shoot us a message when this gets posted on our Instagram and maybe we could cover it or Jim could cover it on his Instagram on a video or, or some sort. And so people, you know, go follow Jim, Jim, where, where could uh, people find you and uh, buy some arrows and maybe get hooked up with, you know, with you to get them ready for 3d or, or hunting season. Yeah. Just look me up at Keystone precision archery uh, on Instagram. You can just shoot me a, a direct message on Instagram and uh, I, I read everything. I read every comment. I read every message that they sent to me. So, I'll be afraid to reach out and uh, I'll do what I can to help you out and get you what you're looking for as, as soon as I can. Yeah. And hey, hey, listen, you do not need to be local either. Jim will, you know, if you want arrows made or anything along those lines, you know, he, Jim could ship arrows. So I uh, just wanted to th- plug that in there too for you, buddy. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've shipped all the way out to Utah, to Maine. I mean, I've been on, I've shipped out to all over the country. So, I mean, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. As long as it's not like, you know, not in Japan or something. I don't know if I could like swing that, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, dude. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing that wisdom. We, we greatly appreciate it until next time. Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. I want to thank Jim for coming on. Make sure you check him out over at Keystone Precision Archery. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thank you for your support. Make sure you like and subscribe our YouTube channel at Antler Up Outdoors, our Facebook, our YouTube, like I just said, and as well as our Instagram. Greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions or simply want to reach out, say hi. We get back to you immediately. Love the support. Thank you so much. Antler Up.